Watson, and this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Wisconsin sports fans have uh, have certain responsibilities outside of our own teams, right? So yeah, we cheer for the Brewers, the Packers, the Badgers, the Bucks. But outside of our own teams, we have some certain responsibilities, some certain uh, burdens, right? We we hate the Bears, we hate the Cowboys, we hate the Cubs, we hate Ohio State, and and most important of all, possibly, God, do I hate the St. Louis Cardinals? And and you know what? You know what? These you know these MLB playoffs they ain't turning out so bad. You know when they first started, I I I, I had low expectations. I wasn't looking forward to. Them. And man, have they, have they just been great? Right? My hopes at the beginning of the MLB playoffs were the same as they are every year. I want to see a different team. I don't want to see the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Red Sox like every other year. Let's let's get at least one or two new teams into the mix. And, and you know what? This year. It delivered, right? We got to see the Rays in, in, in the Division Series really hanging in there with the Astros. I mean, as, as good of a team as the Astros are, I think that's about as much as you can ask for. Right? We got to see the Nationals not only go toe-to-toe with the Dodgers and beat them in the Divisional Series, but then make the Championship Series and absolutely pummel the Cardinals. And man, oh man, was that fun to watch. Right? My hopes going into the playoffs the same. Let's let's knock one of those uh, those two or three big market teams out. Let's maybe get a different team in there, something new, something fresh. And, of course, I'm going to cheer against the Cubs. I'm going to cheer against the Cardinals. Because as a Brewer fan, as a Wisconsin sports fan, that's what we do. And last night, oh, man, did it happen. And you know what? I know I'm supposed to be an objective broadcaster. Well, maybe not as objective as some. This is the Wisco Sports Show. But this felt good. In the air, center field. This should do it. Robles will squeeze it. And there it is. The Washington Nationals are National League champions. Oh, yeah. There will be a World Series in D.C. But most, most importantly, there will be no, no World Series in St. Louis. That might be the, the most important part of that. And honestly, I know the Nationals beat the Brewers. I'm happy for them. Man, they're having fun. They've worked for this uh, for five or six years now. A lot of disappointment, right? A lot of letdown. Uh, a lot of coming up short, and they finally done it. So as much as I despise the Cardinals and love watching them lose, you know what? I'm okay with watching the Nationals win as well and advance to the World Series. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. We're not just going to uh, laugh and smile at the misery of the Cardinals and Cardinals fans today. We are actually going to talk a lot about Wisconsin sports. Uh, the Packers, the Badgers, we're going to talk a lot of football today. But we're also going to talk Brewers uh, here in a second. If if you want to join in at any point, please do. 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line. I would love to have a conversation with you. Twitter's wide open as well, at Keystroker Grant. That's my account. Not only should you tweet at me, but you should follow me as well. So we can uh, connect and share thoughts and opinions and, and perhaps argue with each other even when I'm not on the air from 5 to 6 p.m. And, of course, you can find us and tweet us all at WKTY. I don't understand how the Cardinals got beat that bad. And last night actually mirrored, uh, very similarly, Game 5 of the Divisional Series with the Braves and the Cardinals, right? Coming out in Game 5, or, or, in, or in last night's case, an elimination game in, in, in Game 4, right? A game you have to have. 
and the Cardinals go out. What did they score? Ten runs in the first inning to just end that game in Atlanta in the snap of a finger? Well, last night, the Nationals come out in the in the bottom of the first. They were at home, and they hang seven, which is all the runs they would score for, for the rest of the game, but that was enough. They win seven to four last night. And funny you mentioned, right, the Cardinals putting up uh, ten runs in, in that first inning of the elimination game, game five uh, in Atlanta. Ten runs in that game, a game they ultimately go on to win uh, uh, by, what was the final score, 11-13 to one or two. I, d- I don't even remember. It was done before it started. Well, once that series ended and the championship series starts, it's amazing what a couple of days and a change of competition can do. The Cardinals scored zero runs in game one, one run in game two, one run in game three, and four runs in game four. Ten runs in the first inning of game five of the of the division series. And then, and then, or, or it would be, yeah, the final game of the division series. And then going on to score a combined six runs. I love it. I, I absolutely, lo- I, I love it. I want to see more of that. I hope it happens again uh, to the to the Cardinals next year if they do indeed make the playoffs. I will say, as much fun as it was seeing the Cardinals, and maybe not, maybe fun is the wrong word to say, but as much of a relief as it was to see the Cardinals aren't going to another World Series as a Brewer fan, it. it might be more interesting to now think about what could have been for the Milwaukee Brewers. Because I think in the final week of the season and and, and up into the wild card game, which the Brewers lost to the Nationals, I, I think the sentiment around Brewers fans and, and you know what, probably around Nationals fans as well. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was it was similar. It was consistent across the board. Everybody says, well, you know, happy to make the playoffs and, and we'll see if we can't win that wild card game. But man, oh, man. You're not beating the Dodgers, right? You're not beating the Dodgers in a five-game series. Starting on the road, well-rested. Clayton Kershaw, no way. Well, the Nationals had a little something to say about that and end up beating the Dodgers, right? Shocking them at home in the 10th inning with a Howie Kendrick, Kendrick Grand Slam. Couldn't have happened in a more entertaining way for, for fans of different teams who were just watching to, to see a good baseball game. So that original idea, that that original sentiment of, well, neither team's beating the Dodgers, was proven wrong. And now the Nationals have gone on to just pummel the St. Louis Cardinals and, and make their way to the World Series, which nobody saw coming. Nobody. So what about the Brewers? Did they have a shot? Right? Did they have a chance to, to do what the Nationals have done, and that's beat the Dodgers and then go on to play the Cardinals? Or maybe, who knows, maybe that that series goes differently in, in an alternate situation, right? And the Braves move on. To beat the Braves, to make the World Series, right? That's ultimately the goal. That's ultimately what the Nationals have done. Were the Brewers good enough? Did the Brewers have what it takes to do what the Nationals have done, making their first World Series? I don't know. Obviously, we'll never know. But it is interesting to think. The Nationals, everybody's darling right now. Of Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin. This, this now... Uh, supposed juggernaut of a team who's headed to the World Series. Easy to forget, right? Just a just a couple days ago, the Brewers were up on that team three to one with only six outs to go, and, and the most dominant reliever in baseball on the mound. Do you, I don't know if I actually I don't know if I like to think about that, right? Because you start to think about what what might have been. Now, I think the Nationals for most of the year 
kind of underperformed, and I think they finally got it together at the end. Now, if you'll remember, this Nationals team was not a was not a good team until it, it meant the most, right? Nationals were not a good team until the end of the year when they got hot, they started playing well, and then, of course, you've seen what has happened in the postseason. They were well under 500 in May. Going into June, they, they were having questions about their manager. Of course, they let Bryce Harper walk. And then they get hot at the right time. They beat the Brewers. And now they're in their first World Series. And remember, before the wild card game, everybody's thought was, this doesn't really matter because nobody's beating the Dodgers. Well, the Dodgers fell not in the championship series, but in the divisional series. And looking back, maybe the National League was a little bit more wide open than, than we originally thought, right? Now, the Nationals and the Brewers are constructed very differently. The Nationals, starting pitching is the thing. The Brewers, the bullpen is the thing. Teams are constructed very differently. And, and look, the starting pitching was dominant against the Cardinals for four straight games. I don't know if the Brewers were able to pull that off. I, I don't know. We'll never know. But man, what could have been to think that the Brewers were up 3-1 to one on this team with six outs to go? They didn't get it done. And now that team that escaped under the grasp of, of Craig Council and Josh Hader ha- have rattled off uh, two straight series wins and are now making their first ever World Series. Man, oh man, what could have been? Uh, we're not going to dwell on the what-ifs today. Uh, I want to continue a conversation that we we started yesterday about the Green Bay Packers, specifically one position group. Uh, they're wide receivers. It's an interesting topic, an interesting conversation, because the narrative surrounding the, the, the Packers wide receivers changed like three different times <laughs> during that game on Monday night, right? And of course, the Packers come out on top, refereeing aside, right? Dramatic conversation surrounding the, the officials and the flags aside, Right, The wide receivers were the story until they weren't because of Alan Lazard. Do you feel differently now than you did at halftime of that Lions game about the Packers wide receivers? Let's let's get into it a little bit more. Plus, Packers actually added a wide receiver today. We'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about the Badgers and, and kind of piggyback off something that Radio Joe and Bill Michaels were talking about earlier on this afternoon uh, because I have strong feelings about it, as I do most things. We'll talk about all that coming up next and more. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show, presented by Play It Again Sports. Back in a moment here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. Talked a little bit about the Nationals uh, winning last night, but more importantly, talked about the Cardinals losing. Man, oh man, and how great that feels. But we're only uh, two days now removed from the Packers beating the Lions on Monday Night Football. And not only is it significant, the Packers move to 5-1 and one and get another win at home in primetime and their third win in the division, but that game keeps them at the top of the division and talk about competitive. The Lions, who would have been in first had they won on Monday night, fall all the way to last. Now, first and last, only a couple games separating the two. Just goes to show you how competitive of a division the Packers have, and the Bears and the Vikings and the Lions, of course, the NFC North. And these teams all beating up on each other, except for the Packers, who have managed to escape uh, unscathed. 3-0, and like I said, in the division. There were a lot of storylines coming out of this game, and when we talked about most of them yesterday, now, outside of Packers fandom, the, the conversation was based around officiating. Right, But inside Packer fandom, and, and yesterday on the Wisco Sports Show, we talked about uh, Aaron Rodgers and his performance yesterday, the defense, and how even though it didn't force turnovers or big big plays or big hits, uh, 
they showed yesterday why you need a defense and a good defense and a good defensive coordinator to win games. Because when your receivers aren't making plays and your running back turns the ball over, you need it to be 13 to 0 and not 28 to 0, right? One storyline that we barely touched on at the end of the show was the Packers wide receivers. And it's interesting. I wish there was a flow chart of this. As the game went on, the conversation uh, between Packers fans, and I notice it mostly on Twitter. You can follow me at Keystroker Grant. Uh, the conversation was all about the wide receivers. Because if you remember early on, Aaron Rodgers was playing great. But the wide receivers weren't hauling him in. Especially on third down and, and, and that play to Jimmy Graham in the end zone, which I mean, Aaron Rodgers can't throw much better. right? The play to Darius Shepard on the goal line, Aaron Rodgers can't throw that much better. Receivers just weren't making plays. And everyone's panicking. Saying, okay, the Packers need to make a trade. Uh, they need to cut Shepard. They need to bring in this guy. They need to do this, that, the other thing to improve the wide receiving core, right? And Packers fans were panicking. And then they stopped. Nobody was panicking. Nobody was talking about it because Aaron Rodgers goes over to the bench and talks to the receivers coach, and Matt LaFleur and said, hey, give me Alan Lazard. And those two get, get a little something going on the field, even on third down. Showed some chemistry, and Al Lazard ended up being their leading receiver. Four catches, 65 yards, and a touchdown, including that touchdown of 35 yards. It was a conversation. It, it was a point of, of contention. It, it was a panic around the Packers wide receivers until it wasn't. Because Alan Lazard came in, and everything got better, and then the Packers ended up winning, of course, with the assistance of a, of a penalty flagger, too, especially on that last drive. And I asked yesterday, after what you saw from Alan Lazard, are the Packers okay at wide receiver? Because let's be real, Geronimo Allison's probably out, almost certainly out Sunday, maybe longer. I would imagine Devontae Adams is going to be out this Sunday as well. So you're left with Alan Lazard, Valdez Scantling, Jake Kumaro, and Darius Shepard. Your other leading pass catchers uh, the other night were Mercedes Lewis, who had 50 yards, Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones, and Jimmy Graham, of course, the tight end. Are they good at wide receiver? I, I think it, you'd say that it's less than ideal, but I guess the real question is, can they, can they be okay for a little bit until some of their receivers get healthy? I don't know. Every every year, every season before we start uh, the season, whether it's the Packers, the Brewers, the Bucks, I like to play this game. When we're trying to figure out how good this team's going to be, where their weaknesses, where their strengths are, I like to go around the roster, the depth chart, and say, okay, if you lose the best guy at every position, what do you have? Right? So in the Packers case, if you lose David Bakhtiari, how good is your offensive line? If you lose uh, Kevin King or Jair Alexander, you lose your best corner, how good are you? And in this case, because everyone is worried about the depth of wide receiver, if you lose Devontae Adams, what do you have? Are you okay? How good? Right? Well, that's happened. Right? Devontae Adams is injured and he's missed a couple of games and they've been okay in his absence. I, I look... I don't know if it's what I tell myself to fall asleep at night or if I truly believe it. I think it's a little bit of both. I think the Packers would have beaten the Eagles that Thursday night game right before Oktoberfest if Devontae Adams stays healthy. I truly do. Because they needed to make one play, one big throw, one big conversion, one big touchdown. And that Eagles secondary stinks. And you saw it against the Vikings on Sunday. You're telling me they couldn't have came up with one more score with Devontae Adams? Come on. I think the Packers are undefeated with a, with a healthy Devontae Adams, but that is obviously not the case, and they are without their best player at the wide receiver position. What do they have? Are they good? Are they okay? Can they sustain long enough for Devontae Adams to get healthy? Look, 
I wish the injury to Devontae Adams wasn't turf toe. I, I wish not. I wish it was a shoulder. I, I wish it was a hip. I wish it was a rib. I wish it was something else because turf toe, and this isn't an injury that in recent memory, at least with the Green Bay Packers we've had to deal with, is a tricky injury. Now, if you don't know, turf toe, it kind of sounds like it could be like a, like a blister or, or, a, or a, an ingrown toenail or something like that. It's actually just an injury of the big toe, the joint where the big toe is actually connected to the foot, right? And this can happen a lot in, in sports like basketball and in football where you're pushing off to cut, to speed up, to stop on a dime, to jump, right? You're using that big toe as as the pressure point to push off with your leg and, and, and extend one way with the rest of your body. Now, that's an issue because a wide receiver uses his toe on every single play, right? If you hurt your shoulder, okay, once that shoulder heals, you'll probably be fine because you're not using your shoulder to push off the turf on every single play. Now, you might take a hit. That could be problematic, but that's a variable. That doesn't happen on every play, right? If you injure, uh, let's say, your hip, right? And I realize every body part is connected, and I'm by no means teaching an anatomy class here. If you injure your hip, if you get healthy enough to run, healthy enough to move, if you can just avoid a a hit to that hip, you're probably okay. A toe, (laughs) the wide receiver has to run, jump, cut, leap, stop on a dime, turn around. It's being used every single play. Turf toe can linger. Turf toe can be a problem for a long time. We saw that with Julio Jones a couple of years ago, especially for a wide receiver. I can see this injury lingering. I I don't think there's even a slight chance. Of course, there's a slight chance. I don't think he's going to play on Sunday against the Raiders. Look, he might not play against the Chiefs the following week, right? I think this injury lingers for a while. And you know what? I don't know what the, the status is on Geronimo Allison. Look, he, he was being evaluated for head injury and a chest injury. Who knows? I'm assuming those two are going to be out for at least a couple more weeks. What do they have? I know you got a good boost of confidence in Alan Lazard. And, and Alan Lazard, coming out of that game, has got to feel a great sense of confidence, especially hearing what Aaron Rodgers said and Matt LaFleur said. He's got to be feeling himself, so you hope you have a weapon there, right? But other than that... What do you got? Now, there's two schools of thought about the Packers' current wide receiving core. You can either, number one, make a move, make a trade, right? Now, the Packers brought in a wide receiver today who was on the street. That's a lower-level wide receiver, but they made a move nonetheless. But you could make a big move, right? You could trade, uh, not necessarily a premium draft pick, but trade a draft pick, let's say, uh, a second, third, or fourth rounder for a a wide receiver who might be the second or third best on your team, maybe a veteran, right, just to stabilize things a little bit. You could do that. Or two, you could develop and wait. You could. And you could see what Jake Kumaro, with a little bit of experience and some snaps, could do for you, right? You could wait to see if Valdez Scantling can add another element to his game that's not the deep ball. You could wait to see if Darius Shepard bounces back, because I know he had a bad Monday night game, but I think they have a player there, and I think the Packers think they have a player there. And without time, without snaps, without experience for those players, you're never going to know. Who knows? If Alan Lazard isn't called into the game by Aaron Rodgers and his coaches the other night, and they might be really up a creek because now they don't even have Alan Lazard. So you got to give credit to the Packers. They were patient with their receivers. They gave them time to learn and develop, and they discovered a, a great performance out of Alan Lazard because of it. But they almost lost a game in the meantime, right? Aaron Rodgers played so great. And the defense, outside of a flea flicker and another deep throw, played really great, too. 
And Mason Crosby kicked really well. And Jamal Williams played really well. And you still almost lost at home to a divisional opponent because of your wide receiver's simple inability to catch passes that really weren't anything that difficult. They were just routine catches, right? Aaron Rodgers was slinging, putting it on the money. You almost lost a game. So it is a double-edged sword. You can develop some of your young receivers and see what you got and allow them to learn and grow and experience. But it might cost you a game. It might cost you a first down or a touchdown, and we saw that on Monday. Now, luckily, it didn't cost the Packers a game, but I don't know if they are willing to to risk it again, to roll the dice again. Well, today, they, they actually were a bit proactive. They did make a move. Now, I, I think part of it is just because they need another body, especially with Geronimo Allison out, but... They signed a wide receiver, Ryan Grant, not the old running back, uh, but a wide receiver who has been in Washington for a good part of his career. He was most recently in Oakland, released a couple of days ago, interestingly enough. So the Packers today signed Ryan Grant to the 53, released, uh, released Trey Carson from the 53, signed cornerback Traymond Smith and running back Demaria Crockett, and released a tight end off the practice squad. Now, it's interesting Interesting enough, right, because the Raiders now have Trevor Davis, who will probably have some intel, some information on the way the Packers do things. And the Packers have just brought in Ryan Grant directly from the Raiders, who will probably have some intel, some information about how the Raiders do things. It's an interesting dynamic, an interesting situation. And I know Ryan Grant's been a good, solid receiver for a lot of his career, and he's had some good years, right? The Packers made that move for a couple of reasons. Not a necessity. They need a warm body. Because Geronimo Allison's not going to play, I would imagine. It helps that he was just on the Raiders, so he's hopefully going to be able to tell them a thing or two about John Gruden and the way their offense runs before Sunday, the Packers' next opponent. But who knows? Maybe they think that Ryan Grant can actually deliver something on the field to outside of just a, a couple snaps in a pinch. But Ryan Grant aside, are the Packers' wide receivers okay? Is our offense going to be okay? Before every season, I like to play that game. All right, your number one guy goes down. What do you have? That was the one iffy position this year, right? I I think Jair Alexander goes down. All right, great. Kevin King slides in. Josh Jackson is young and developing. Tony Brown is young and developing. And you have uh, Tremont Smith, who's got plenty of experience, right? Defensive line, you like Tyler Lancaster if, in fact, Kenny Clark's got to miss a game. Or Dean Lowry's got to miss a game, right? And an outside linebacker. Look, Kyler Facker was great the other night, and they just drafted Rashawn Gary. They have a lot of depth. You saw Elton Jenkins slide in when Lane Taylor wasn't getting the job done on the offensive line. And you see what Jamal Williams is capable of when Aaron Jones is fumbling or dropping passes or maybe a little bit banged up. Wide receiver was that one position where if you lose your number one guy, a little iffy. Who can step up? Well, the other night it was Alan Lazard was that... Uh, was that an illusion for one quarter of football, or was that something that the Packers can build on moving forward? I don't know. We will certainly know more on Sunday about the Packers' wide receiving situation. That's for darn sure. Coming up this weekend, the Packers aren't the only football team playing. We haven't talked about the Badgers. And look, honestly, I don't feel bad about it because they just keep winning. I don't really know what you want me to say. They blew out Michigan State on Saturday like they've been blowing out a lot of teams and shutting out a lot of teams as well. They win 38-0. to This game in and of itself was nothing special, nothing interesting. It was just another 2019 Badgers performance. Don't mean to take anything away from it, but look, we've seen that game. We saw it against Kent State, saw it against Central Michigan, USF, and for the most part, saw it against Michigan as well. We are reaching a point in the Badgers season where you got to ask the question, well, is the college football playoff in sight 
Is it a realistic possibility? Let's talk about that coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY. Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY 96.7 FM and 580 AM. You can always listen on our mobile app and stream live at WKTYsports.com. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for hanging out. Hope you're having an awesome night. Talking some Packers, talking about wide receivers, and it's going to be an ongoing conversation, I would imagine, for the rest of the season. Turf toe can linger. Man, it, it sounds like a little gimmicky, not a big deal injury, but it could not be farther from the truth when it comes to wide receivers. So something we're going to have to continue to follow. I do want to talk Badgers because we haven't done it yet this week. And up until this point, the Badgers and the Badgers football team, I should say, has kind of felt like a topic you save for Tuesday or Wednesday after you've covered the Packers, right? And after you've talked MLB playoffs and, and Brewers, right? We, we've kind of saved it. And look, that's no shade at the Badgers, but... It's routine at this point. Like, I only have an hour every night. The the Badgers have beaten USF 49-0, Central Michigan 61-0, Kent State 48-0, and then Michigan State 38-0. Like, what more do you want me to say at this point? Got to save it for later on in the week. You want to talk Badgers, 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talking text line. Uh, you can ring me there or, or tweet at me at Keystroker Grant. You can tweet us all. At WKTY. So look, the Badgers killed Michigan State on Saturday. And it got lost in the shuffle. It absolutely did. It was a home game. It was a it was an afternoon game, right? There wasn't a whole lot of fanfare or guts and glory about it. It was just a butt kicking uh by the Badgers. And the defense dominated again, like the 38 to nothing score would indicate, but it goes a little bit deeper than that. If you look at the box score, I, I think it tells you all you need to know. So Michigan State pulled their quarterback uh, in the middle of the game and, and replaced him. So Lewerke gave way to Lombardi, which is a nice one-two punch if you're only going off of names. So Ben Brian Lewerke, uh, 7-16 for 53 yards and a pick. No touchdowns. That is a QBR of 8.3. I don't know exactly off the top of my head what statistics and what metrics go into QBR, but that ain't good, right? And then is replaced by Rocky Lombardi who went 5 of 14 for 66 yards and a pick. A slightly lower QBR of 7.1. Their leading rusher was Thompson. Tyreek Thompson, who had one carry for 20 yards. <laughs> that was the leading rusher. Of course, uh, Collins had 8 for 16. Lewerke, 8 for 4. Like, nothing was getting done. Receiving wasn't much better. Stewart Jr., 5 catches for 59 yards. White, three for 34. Like, the ball just wasn't moving. They weren't moving. They weren't scoring. Both quarterbacks uh, added a fumble as well. It was not good. It was not a good affair. And obviously, you could have probably gleaned that from the 38 to nothing final score. And shutouts are becoming a thing. 49 nothing, 61 nothing, 48 nothing, and now 38 nothing. I-, I truly think that Paul Christ and Jim Leonard came into the season with a different attitude, with a different edge, saying, you know what? We are not going to float through the season with the attitude of, well, if we just make the Big Ten Championship and win it, we'll be in. Because I don't know if that's enough. And also, they haven't been able to do that yet, right? It's it's the roadmap that we talk about every year. Well, just, just go undefeated, make the Big Ten Championship and win it, and they can't keep you out, right? Well, that hasn't worked yet because the Badgers haven't been able to pull it off. This this defense is for real. We're learning a little bit more about the offense and the defense every single week. This, this defense is for real. And it's getting to the point now where we're starting to know names. 
right? We're starting to see some of these players as college superstars and possible uh, NFL draft prospects. A couple weeks ago, I, t- I talked to Zach Heilprin. He's our Badger guy from our sister station, The Zone in Madison. He also hosts the Badger Roundtable show that you hear every Friday from 5 to 6. We're starting to become familiar with some of these names, right? Because in the past, you've had TJ Watt, right? And Vince Beagle, just Wisconsin-type institutions. TJ Edwards, Nick Nelson, Dakota Dixon, right? Olive Sagapolo. These are guys who you knew the name, you knew the face. They were just landmarks of a, of a really good Wisconsin defense. But we're, we're getting to that point this year as well, right? Jack Sanborn and Chris Orr, just a tremendous duo uh, in the middle of the field playing linebacker. And Zach Bond, maybe most of all. And when I brought up that take to Zach a couple of weeks ago, he said, well, Grant, you better you better get on that because Zach Bond is right now every bit as good as T.J. Watt was and Vince Beagle was. He is to this defense what those guys were to defenses of the past couple of years. And interestingly enough, Jim Leonard is following suit with his predecessors as well. Or, or is that predecessors? Whoever came before, right? Dave Aranda, who's now at LSU, and Justin Wilcox, who's now doing a really good job at Cal. And look, Cal is not uh, the biggest, strongest program in the Pac-12, but they are Wilcox is doing a tremendous job and has got a lot of recognition this year. So Jim Leonard following suit with, once again, I don't know if predecessor is the right word. I think it is, but for whatever reason, I'm I'm hesitating. So Jim Leonard following in the footsteps of those defensive coordinators who came before him uh, in this Wisconsin program. Because there has been no new conversation and nothing new to talk about with this Badgers team because they've been so good, it has come time to pose the question. And I saw Radio Joe and Bill Michaels talking about it today. Is it time to talk about the college football playoff? Too early? Why or why not? Right? That was their big question today. I saw it on Twitter. I heard it on air. Of course, Bill Michaels and Radio Joe every day, 11-2 here on WKTY. Look, this team is so much better than the team of 2018. So much better. Jack Cohen is so much better than Alex Hornibrook was last year in 2018. This team has gotten so much better in so many different ways and phases of the game than they were last year, and it's still too early to talk about the college football playoff. It is. Still too early. All of those improvements, right? All of those different wrinkles and different parts of this team that have improved over the last 365 days or this last year, still way too early to talk about the college football playoff. And, And... I thought about this weekend because Justin Garcia, a Bucks guest who we have on from WTMJ uh, down in Milwaukee, he's part of the Bucks Radio Network as well, and uh, UWL grad as well. He tweeted this weekend, and man, it stung when I read it because it's true. J- Justin tweeted, are the, Bax- are the Badgers actually good or are they just good until they play Ohio State again? Right? Because the last four or five years, that's kind of been the theme, hasn't it? Man, Badgers are rolling. Badgers are killing teams. They're playing great until they have to play Ohio State. Now, obviously, this is a new year. Ohio State has a new coach, a new quarterback. Wisconsin has a new quarterback and a reconstructed defense and an improved Jonathan Taylor who now catches passes and and Quintez Cephas who has now returned. Like Both of these two teams are different, so we don't know. Every year is different in college football, so we don't know. But until we see Wisconsin play Ohio State, and that's coming up before too long, they have a date in uh, Champaign against Illinois this upcoming Saturday, and then they travel to Ohio State in less than two weeks now. So I guess we'll know. I think that tweet just, just, 
oozing truth, oozing a, a painful reality for Badgers fans. And it has been a painful reality the last couple of years because it doesn't seem to matter how good the Badgers have been. They haven't been good enough to beat Ohio State, whether it's been in the regular season or in the Big Ten Championship game. And that's the one game they've needed to really become legitimate contenders in the last week of college football to make it into the college football playoff. I think it's way too early uh, to talk about the college football playoff. 608-796-2558. Orange texts in and says, Hey Grant, uh, the Badgers playoff road is directly linked to how they play against one team, Ohio State. Couldn't agree more. If they lose a close game to them in two weeks and can beat them in the Big Ten Championship, I think they can go. And obviously if they beat them twice, they will go provided they don't have any other losses. Agreed. I think if the Badgers go undefeated, including a Big Ten Championship win, which at this point looks inevitably to be matched up against Ohio State, I think they are in. If they lose close in Columbus, and then come back and win in the Big Ten Championship game. That's an interesting scenario that we can approach later on down the road. But Orange, I agree. It's way too early to talk about college football playoff until the Badgers go ahead and actually do what they have not been able to do, and that is beat Ohio State. The rest of the schedule is is interesting enough. There's some interesting matchups, but I think outside of Ohio State, coming up in less than two weeks, outside of that game, the rest of the schedule is actually pretty solid for the Badgers. Shapes up pretty solid for the Badgers. And it's not just a bunch of pushover teams, right? It's not the Kent States, right, and the Rutgers of the world. We can't all be Minnesota and play Rutgers and Illinois and South Dakota State every every week. I, I think it's a well-balanced schedule that provides enough competition to keep the Badgers engaged, but to not really put them on the ropes week after week after week. Let's take a look at the rest of the schedule, and of course we'll talk about that Ohio State game because I think we're all in agreement that College football playoff discussion is directly linked to whether or not the Badgers can actually hang with and beat Ohio State, which is what they haven't been able to do in the last couple of years. So let's continue this conversation. We'll go right up till 6 o'clock here on the Wisco Sports Show. Final segment coming up next, presented by Played Again Sports, right here on WKTY. Talking Badger football here on the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I am your host. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget you can catch up on uh, whatever you may have missed, whether you're just tuning in uh, or you're able to listen earlier. Always check it out, WKTYsports.com. Click on the Podcasts tab. All of our programming can be found on demand right there. Not just my show, uh, but Dave and Scrady's show in the morning as well from 6 to 9 a.m. I'm not getting up at 6 a.m. Are you kidding me? I'm not built like Dave and Scrady. You know Dave gets up at like 2.45, 3 o'clock in the morning? Uh Uh-uh. Yeah, I'll check out the podcast uh, at WKTYsports.com. We're talking Badgers, and today the question was posed by Radio Joe and Bill Michaels, and because we're on the same network, and right, we're we're all friends, we're on the same station, I should say, not the same network, uh, sometimes I don't feel bad about lifting uh, and, and swiping their own topics for my own. Today, Radio Joe asked, is it too early to think about the college football playoff for the Badgers? To which I say, absolutely, yes, it is way too early. And I think the 2019 Badgers are worlds better than the 2018 Badgers. And I think Jack Cohen, not only as a player, but as a leader and as an individual, is worlds better than Alex Hornibrook. And it's still way too early to talk about the college football playoff because the Badgers have yet to play Ohio State. 
That's it. That's what it comes down to. And based on the texts I'm getting on the five-star telecom talking text line, 608-796-2558, we seem to be in agreement on that. I think we've seen this story. We've read this book, watched this movie enough times now to know that, yeah, the Badgers are playing great. They're rolling over teams, but until they actually play and beat Ohio State, I'm not getting sucked in because we've seen it too many times, right? I referenced a tweet, which might have been the best tweet of the weekend, uh, by friend of the show, Justin Garcia, who's on the Bucks Radio Network and, of course, UWL grad, uh, which I will always obnoxiously mention with some of our guests. He said, look, are the Badgers good or are they just good until they play Ohio State again? And I'm like, man, that's true. It stings. It sucks. But it's true. And I think it's too early to talk about the college football playoff. Now, if you look at the rest of the schedule, I think it's a good mix of winnable games and competitive games to keep the Badgers' head in the game, right? So coming up this weekend is at Illinois, which is just a, a gross, it's just gross. Urbana-Champaign is just a place no one wants to be, and it's 11 and a.m. kick, right? Now, I don't think the Badgers are in, are on upset watch. I don't think they're going to get caught looking ahead to Ohio State. Right now, the Badgers are favored. Uh, the spread's 31 uh, so they're giving 31 points to the Fighting Illini, which should tell you all you need to know. Let's, just for the sake of this conversation, just for the sake of time today, assume that the Badgers are going to beat Illinois. They are then looking at a date at Ohio State on the 26th, home against Iowa on the 9th. They go to Nebraska on the 16th. They host Purdue on the 23rd, and then they're at Minnesota on the 30th. Of course, that Thanksgiving weekend, the last weekend um, of the year, deer hunting weekend, right? That's how I always remember it. It always shakes out that way. I think Iowa at home uh, is just going to be a competitive game. I don't think I was very good. I have a lot of respect for their quarterback and their coach, but they're not the same team if they're not at Kinnick. I mean, hell, they, they were terrible at Kinnick last week in a night game against Penn State in the yellow jerseys, right? They had everything going their way, and they still were awful. And their offense is awful. And Wisconsin's defense is great, but it's still a blue blood program with a very good, athletic, strong-armed quarterback and an experienced coach. That will be enough to get the Badgers up. That will be enough to keep them engaged, right? At Nebraska is is interesting. Man, that seems like a messy opportunity for Scott Frost to say, wait a minute, the season wasn't a total mess. We got that win, right? So the Badgers are going to have to stay engaged. Of course, then they host Purdue, uh, who, eh, they're okay. Right, they're the middle of the road in the Big Ten West. They have a couple great weapons, but that's about it. And it's at home. They should be able to deal with that. And then, look, I wouldn't be surprised if Wisconsin doesn't blow out Minnesota just to make up for what happened last year. I think that's a game they are going to be sky high for. I wouldn't want to be a Minnesota player across from what Jim Leonard and Paul Christ and those players are going to dial up coming up on November 30th. I think it's a good mix of competitive games, a good mix of, of easy games. I think Iowa being at home is a huge deal. But they do have to go to Columbus. They do have to play in Ohio State. And an announcement in the last couple of days that came out that, that, if you didn't notice, is a big deal. It was announced as an 11 a.m. game. Wait. The 6th-ranked Badgers and the 4th-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes are playing at 11 a.m.? Yes, they're playing at 11 a.m. And I don't... Look, Fox does their biggest game of the day at noon or at 11 a.m., right? They do that big noon kickoff. Fox has said, screw it. We're not going to compete with ABC and CBS at night. We're going to put our best game at 11, so it'll be the best game on TV at the time. And I think that's a great idea, right, to to, to scatter those high-level, high-competitive games out throughout the day. And I think Fox made the right choice. I think this is advantageous for the Badgers because I don't think you want to be in Columbus for a night game. 
more time for people to get into the stadium, to get hyped up. And I think the atmosphere in college football is just different at night. I think playing at 11 a.m. in Columbus is the best chance Wisconsin has to take down Ohio State in Ohio State. I think it would be significantly harder if it was a night game. So I'm not going to act like playing at 11 a.m. sucks. Oh, television doesn't respect the Big Ten, doesn't respect Wisconsin. Yeah, I, I don't I don't care. I'm past that. I want the Badgers to win. Because we've seen this movie the last couple of years, right? We've seen this story before where the Badgers are great, rolling over opponents. They seem like they could be college football playoff bound, and then they run into Ohio State. I hope that isn't the case again this year. I think because they have to go to Columbus, an 11 a.m. kickoff is their best chance at beating Ohio State and Ryan Day and Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins. I think 11 a.m. is their best shot. And I was almost somewhat happy to see that that game was at 11 a.m. And we're doing a watch party at the Mirage that day. We're doing a game day watch party. So a couple of WKTY people, myself included, are going to be out there. And we're going to be watching. And I'm like, man, I don't want to be doing that at you know, 8, 9 o'clock at night. You know how long college football games take. If it starts at 7, man, we're going to be there partying until 11.30. And you know what? It might be fun, but man, am I going to regret that the next day. And I'm sure you you would too, right? We're going to talk more about that, that watch party coming up here in the next couple of days. I think 11 a.m. is the Badgers' best shot to knock off Ohio State at home. As much as it might feel disrespectful or lame that this matchup is going on before noon, at least in our time zone, I think it works out in the Badgers' favor. And outside of that Ohio State game, they get Iowa at home, which is significant. They go to Nebraska, and I think that Paul Christ and Jim Leonard will realize they're on upset watch during that game because Nebraska fans are absolutely insane. And no matter what the spread is, they think that they will be the rightful like favorites in that game at home, right? Because they're Nebraska. I think they bring the energy to that game. They get Purdue at home, so even if they sleepwalk through that game, I think chances are pretty good. And I think they are going to pummel Minnesota. And we're over a month away from that game, and I will predict that right now. I think the Badgers are going to run Minnesota out of TCF that Sunday after, that Saturday after Thanksgiving. I think they are. Because I think, I, I truly think that Badgers fans and coaches and players and Barry Alvarez are still seething after what they let happen at Camp Randall last year to a, to a bad Minnesota team. So Ohio State aside, I think the rest of the schedule plays out very favorably. The toughest matchup is Iowa, and they get it at home. You don't have to go to Kinnick. A, a, a game that I'm still amazed that that 2018 Badgers team won last year. At night, at Kinnick? Are you kidding me? They won that game? I think they should be able to handle their business at home against Iowa with the defense who's shutting everyone out and an Iowa offense who, if I remember correctly, have scored, uh, what, 15 points the last two weeks? I'm checking that right now. Against Michigan, they put up... Three, yeah, and against Penn State, 12. Yeah, 15 points. I think there's a lot of favorable matchups in favorable locales. The key is going to be Ohio State, as it has been the last five or six years. And I think playing at 11 a.m. is going to be just about the best situation you can have. I would imagine, man, I don't want to guess the line. I think a touchdown is way too much to give the Badgers, basing on what we've seen so far. I mean, maybe three and a half, four points, right? Field goal or so. Who knows? I mean, you go into you go in at 11 a.m. and you hope to catch this team sleepwalking, the fans sleepwalking, the coaches sleepwalking, right? That's the hope. And I think they have the best chance of catching Ohio State off guard and, and jumping out and, and hopefully forcing an upset.
at 11 a.m. rather than 7 p.m. at night under the lights at the Horseshoe in Columbus. I just don't see that happening. And I think Wisconsin's really good. But as I, I pointed out in my favorite tweet the last from this last weekend was Justin Garcia saying, are the Badgers really good? Or are they just good again until they play Ohio State? And that's what we're going to learn here in, in just about a week and a half. Tomorrow, we're going to continue to talk Wisconsin. Also look forward to this weekend because we have the most pivotal matchup in high school football the last week of the regular season. And the conference is being decided on Friday night. We'll talk about that tomorrow and, and how you can watch and listen and enjoy that game. Same time, same place, tomorrow night. Talk to you then.